Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us, finishing up a full week of the program. You've heard me all day. Actually, you heard me on the wake-up zone this morning. And this is not the end of my day. I'll be back in 1 a.m. to 5 on Fox Sports Radio, and you'll hear that here on The Zone as well. And then my show, 2 to 5 a.m. Sunday morning. You hear the first two hours live here on The Zone. Also, I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. I am blessed beyond measure. All reasonable and otherwise. Hope you recognize that you are as well. My DMs are open at jmartzone. If that's a conversation you'd like to have further that maybe you haven't before. And if not me, I hope you will reach out to someone. I wrote a piece today for the Big Six blog at 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog on Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors. And I don't think that this take is even remotely lukewarm to hot because I've said this consistently. This is Stephen Curry's team and it rises and falls based on what he does. He is the petrol and the engine behind this vehicle, behind this Ferrari that we've seen over the past half decade in the NBA. The only blemish on the record came because Draymond Green was suspended for being Draymond Green in the NBA Finals. I don't think that LeBron ever brings a championship to Cleveland, if not for that moment. That moment, had it happened one series before, when Draymond went low on Steven Adams against Oklahoma City, had he gotten suspended there where maybe he should have, Oklahoma City may have won the championship themselves that year. Because you remember, they ended up being up 3-1 on the Warriors, and then the Warriors won three games in a row. And then after that season, Kevin Durant left. If you can't beat him, join him. Sort of being the mentality there. And maybe there was some untenable friction between himself and Russell Westbrook. And so he went to Golden State, who had just won 73 games and had knocked them out after being down 3-1. Now, if Draymond gets suspended, I think that it's very possible Oklahoma City wins right there. They go on and beat the Cavs because they were better than the Cavs. And maybe Durant doesn't leave if he wins the first championship in Oklahoma City. Certainly the narrative is different because he wins one before he goes. And look, Draymond's the one that said it. When they got into this spat back last fall, which was a story that, that made national attention, and I think it's the biggest reason why I continue to think Kevin Durant is going to leave. Draymond Green made it real clear. We don't need you. This is the quote from Yahoo Sports last fall. We don't need you. We won without you. Leave. The implication couldn't possibly be more transparent there. Draymond Green is saying, you gravy trained us. 
We didn't need you to win championships. We'd already done that. We've got the best shooting backcourt in the history of the NBA right now. We've got a top five all-time point guard in Steph Curry. The only reason I say top five and not higher is just because his defense is going to hold him back in some in some classifications. There are guys that were more balanced than he was. There's certainly nobody is offensively prolific from that spot. Magic and Steph, that's the list. But Kevin Durant goes down, and since that point, all Steph Curry has done is gone for 33, 36, and 37 points. The isolation basketball is not a beautiful game to watch. It's not a beautiful thing to watch the Houston Rockets play because of James Harden's ball dominance and the way that it stops in his hands, and he goes iso. Now, he's a tremendous player, and so you have to play around him. And when Kevin Durant is on the floor, Kevin Durant is the best isolation basketball player in the NBA, maybe the best player, period, in the NBA. Maybe you can actually take maybe away from that. And so the ball stops with Durant. And Durant has a mid-range game. He does take plenty of threes, but he's got a mid-range game as well. And so a lot of the time, the ball stops right outside, right there at the elbow, like right outside the painted area. And so what you get, in effect, is claustrophobia for the remainder of the Golden State offense because defenders can then collapse, and then there's just a whole lot of humanity. There's a whole lot of bodies in a smaller circumference of space. When Steph Curry is the one holding the ball, when he's the one that's ball dominant, when it's running through him, you have to chase him 35 feet away from the rim because he will pull up on you. Him and Dame Lillard are really the only two guys in the league that do this on any kind of consistent basis. Steph will pull up from the oracle sign. He'll pull up easily, feet behind the three-point line, and he'll make them at such a high percentage that you have to guard him that far out. And because you're doing that, you're pulling your defense out, and that's creating all of this other open hardwood space for the remainder of the guys wearing Golden State jerseys. That's why the spacing is so much better with Curry than with Durant in terms of the way that the flow moves for the Warriors' offense. There is space that would not exist because of the way KD holds on to the ball and because of where the ball then goes. That's why you see the flow. That's why you see the ball movement. That's why you see guys moving so effectively and so fluidly off the ball without Kevin Durant on the floor because they can space. And for Golden State, they know how this works. They've already won championships doing just this thing. All of that to say, They are not a better basketball team without the best basketball player in the world on the floor. I'm not insinuating that. I am saying that they're more fun to watch. I am saying that they're more entertaining. And I am saying that if you had to lose one of these guys off this team, this particular group plays far better without Kevin Durant than they ever have without Steph Curry. And I'm not just pulling that out of thin air. Listen to this. I'll I'll give you the big stat first. In the past five years, the Warriors are 297 and 62. That's their record with Steph Curry on the floor. They are a gaudy 235 games over 500. Without him, the Warriors are 26 and 26. They are a 500 team without him on the floor. That's just by the record. I'm not saying that they wouldn't be better than that if it went longer. But I went to Tom Haberstroh, who's a really good analytics guy, who he used to be with ESPN. He's moved around. Now he's with NBC. I'm just going to read this, and I put this in my article. And again, 1045thezone.com slash 
Big Six blog. That's how you get all my content. I've put out uh, a couple of different pieces this week, including a John Wick 3 review. Might talk about that in the final segment. I'm just going to read this. With Curry rolling solo, the Warriors are still plus 14.3 in 216 minutes of action. That's without the help of an MVP, a former defensive player of the year, and perhaps the second greatest shooter ever, not named Stephen Curry. The offense scores 116.6 points per 100 possessions in these lineups. That would be the league-leading offensive rating this season. So if you take out various portions of this, or all of them, there's still a plus 14.3. To recap, the Warriors go from a plus 16.9, that's when Durant is out there, to and 16.9 is so rarefied that I think there's only two teams in the history of the NBA, and that's in one-year spans, that have ever had a plus rating that high. So you take them out. They go to a plus 14.8 as long as Curry's still there. 13.9 is the absolute lowest. No matter who you take off the floor, as long as Curry is out there, the lowest is a 13.9 in a positive direction. Now listen to this. This again from Haberstroh's article. Now, let's take Steph off the floor. What happens when Durant, Thompson, and Green are all out there going without him? A plus 4.9. You take Durant off the floor, they're a plus 14.8. You take Curry away, they're just a 4.9. So they're still good, but they are not dominant in the same way. And Durant, if he's out there by himself, remember, Curry rolling solo, meaning none of those other guys out there, no Draymond, no KD, and no Klay Thompson. There's still a plus 14.3 over 216 minutes of action. In 417 minutes where it's just Durant, they are a minus 0.5. And I let my voice kind of trail off there intentionally because that's staggering. And so as great as Kevin Durant is, if it's me and I'm playing for legacy. I know these people are like, man, you can win four in a row, and nobody's ever done that. Jordan's never even done that. Right, but nobody's given him credit for these, right? Especially now that you're seeing what the Warriors are doing without him, and not even with as nearly as deep a bench as they had before they acquired him originally. If KD cares about legacy, and because of how sensitive he appears to be, I think that the perception of him has an outsized importance in his mind, in his psyche. I wish it was not like that. I wish he could just, who cares? I'm having fun here. I'm going to keep doing it. Also, I don't know that he's having fun because I don't think him and Draymond like each other very much at all. So if it's me and I'm Kevin Durant, I'm probably going to go to New York because if you could somehow bring that city a championship, you're never going to be forgotten. It's not like you're going to be forgotten in Golden State But I've always believed that the Warriors were Steph's team. When I think of the Golden State Warriors, what's the first name that comes to my head? It's Steph Curry. It's not Kevin Durant. I still think of Oklahoma City when I think of Kevin Durant first. If he goes somewhere else, that changes. If he goes to the Knicks, for example, or to another franchise, then that shifts. But it's Steph Curry that makes this thing work. This is the best backcourt in the NBA playing against the second best backcourt in the NBA with McCollum and Lillard. And Lillard's kind of, since Oklahoma City, he just hadn't been himself. And he's even said, look, I'm tired. I'm getting double and triple teamed, and and I'm beat. And he looks beat, and he's playing a lot of minutes. C.J. McCollum was great in in the closeouts that they had to have in games six and seven against the Nuggets. But last night, he's the reason that Golden State won that game. 
really and truly, Steve Curry even said they outplayed us and we stole that game. It was still a better brand of basketball. The one thing that Kevin Durant does do is it makes it easier for the Warriors to win. I still think they're going to win the championship whether he comes back and plays or not. But McCollum went 0 for 6 in the fourth quarter. He had two three-pointers within about a minute of game time that were perfect looks. He makes one of those. I think maybe Portland gets that win last night. Maybe. Kevin Durant's on the floor. It's probably a double-digit game. So again, I'm not suggesting to you that they're better without Kevin Durant. I am suggesting I enjoy watching them a lot more without Kevin Durant. And that, in general, the one indispensable portion of this team is the one wearing the number 30, not the one wearing number 35. That's the difference here. But last night, Portland had that game. They were up 15 at the half, and I still thought, man, the Warriors are still probably going to win this game. At one point, it was a 17-point lead. But there was a span of about, I want to say, two game minutes or right thereabouts where the Warriors scored 13, and that just has to just be so demoralizing to you if you've been up big and you've played really hard, you feel good about your game, and then they just cut that lead completely off at the knees. There is no lead anymore. It's a tie ball game. And now it's almost as if all the work you put in doesn't even mean anything. And so the Blazers lost again by three. Maybe you could have called a foul on Iguodala. There was definitely contact with Damian Lillard. But in the game situations, I'm fine with them choking on that whistle. I hoped and would like to believe they would have done it had it been Steph Curry holding the ball and not... Damian Lillard, but I guess you never know. That's that's just speculation and hyperbole or just theory at this point. But the Blazers are going down in five. I think they probably get one of two at home, but they're just not quite good enough. Not without they need Nurkic right now, and they don't have him. Cantor's on Ramadan, and he does a lot of good things. He also does some things that that irritate you. They got some good bench performances last night, but the bench for Golden State is showing up, and it's that that I don't think you get when Kevin Durant is out there. Again, 6-7 and seven when Kevin Durant scores more than 40. When he scores more than 34, they're not good either. There is a team element to this when Kevin Durant is not out there. And when KD is out there, he just soaks up so much and he's able to do so much that he can become a crutch that you just lean on and you know he's going to get it done for you. He's that good. I'm really enjoying watching this retro deal. I'm enjoying this Greatest Hits album that we're seeing from the Warriors right now as opposed to the band saying, we're going to do something new. We're going to do reggae this time. We've done rock the first four albums, but we're going to, we're going to throw some reggae into this. I'm good with listening to the rock. I'm good with listening to the Greatest Hits. I don't need the deep cuts right now and the Warriors they're rolling and they're still my pick to win it all whether Durant comes back or not we will be back right after this big six on 104.5 welcome back in here on a Friday night in the Music City warm one a humid one to be sure today in Nashville this is the big six here on 104.5 the zone I am Jason Martin Glad to have you with us. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. 
This is from Grant Ramey, who, of course, you know well from this radio station. He tweeted a couple of things that I thought were intriguing this morning. Drove to Charlotte to talk to Grant Williams in May of 2016. What he told me then, we're not coming in just to be that foundation. We're coming to start something and create something that's going to last forever. We don't want to just come in and be the start of it, the start of something new. We want to be that huge burst that comes to Tennessee. I think we're national championship contenders in a few years. You know what? We don't know whether or not this is going to be a a creation of something that's going to last forever. Time will tell. Rick Barnes, whether or not he stays, which will be something that will be talked about, I'm sure, and what recruits he's able to bring in and how they're able to follow up on the success that they've had. If Jordan Bone, who, goodness gracious, was he impressive yesterday at the draft combine, when I saw his numbers and him being faster in that three-quarter court sprint than Russell Westbrook and Derrick Rose were, man, I mean, we knew what an athlete he was, and he was my favorite player on that team. I felt like when he played well, the Vols were incredibly difficult to beat. And I know there's other guys out there, Lamonte Turner, and, and there's a lot of guys that you can point to on that squad, but I kind of felt like Grant was always going to be there for you. I thought Admiral was generally going to be there for you, but it was Jordan Bone that when he was handling, he could just rip people off the dribble. He could get to the rim, he could kick it outside, and then Turner's out there making a big shot, or Schofield gets it in the corner where he really wants it. I mean, Jordan Bone, he wasn't being talked about as some kind of a high draft prospect, and he's not going to make his decision about what he's going to do until the 29th of May. But his vertical leap was near the top, And his sprint time was just outrageous. So if you're just looking at it from a measurable standpoint, he did himself a lot of favors yesterday in the draft combine. But Grant Williams tells Shams of Yahoo, who replaced Wojnarowski, and now I think Shams is a stadium, um, that he's going to stay in the NBA draft. And congratulations to Grant Williams, first of all. Graduates in three years, as classy a kid as you ever want to see, as tenacious a college athlete as you ever want to see, a straight-up winner. He leaves Tennessee with nothing but good memories, both him, I'm sure for himself, but also good memories for Vols fans of the way he played and how hard he, he wanted it when he was in Knoxville. And so the question always is, well, what's he going to be on the NBA level? I don't know the answer to that, but he strikes me as a guy that can have a career in this league. He's probably a bench player. I mean, he's not going to be some kind of a superstar level guy, but he's going to be the dude that you're going to want on your team. He strikes me as a dude, like back in the day, he'd have been a perfect San Antonio Spur. Somebody like that. He'll go If he goes to the right situation, one that, that really values hard work and class and all of those things, he could really thrive. He's not going to score 20 points in the NBA a game or anything of that nature. He's not fast, but he's somebody that's crafty. He's got some moves around the rim. He's a good free throw shooter. He plays good defense. He's going to do the little things right. And sometimes that is enough to keep you around longer than you otherwise would be. But would you have come back to Tennessee? That becomes the other argument. I, I don't think that it's a question. The answer to that is no. I would not have come back to Tennessee for a couple of different reasons. One, Admiral's gone. Two, Jordan might be gone. If he is, look, you come back, you're in the NCAA tournament with Grant Williams. 
but even that's going to be somewhat of a struggle. This upcoming season's not going to be what we just saw. And we knew that. Everybody knew that. It's not that they don't have talent. It's that this was kind of, this was all the right things at the right time. Similar to what Texas Tech just had. Texas Tech was built to win last year. It was a one-year deal. They were going to lose Culver, and they had two graduate transfers who are now going to be gone. So Chris Beard cashed in. He got to the national title, came within just an overtime where they didn't have enough against Virginia and maybe a questionable call of winning the Natty. And he gets his contract extension. Very good coach. But I think internally he even knows, yeah, we're not going to be quite as good next year. I mean, he made the Elite Eight, and then he gets to the national title game. And I think that part of Rick Barnes looking at UCLA and maybe some of the other things that might be fluttering through his mind is he knows that Tennessee just had a golden opportunity and had a 30-plus win season but still weren't able to get to the Elite Eight, weren't able to get to the Final Four. And so I know that Grant Williams feels like he has some kind of unfinished business, but at some point you've got to stop playing basketball for free. The only reason you continue to play basketball basketball for free is because you think your stock could improve in the next draft because there's still things you could improve on that are going to be helped out and benefited by being on the college level and being around the coaches and whatever else it might be. He loves that program. And he loves that atmosphere. And he loves those fans, as he should. But is he going to be a, is he going to be a higher draft pick? by anything more than a couple of spots at best if he comes back to Tennessee? And if the answer to that question is, I really don't know, but I doubt it, then you go. You absolutely go. That's the same thing with Zion Williamson. It would be bonkers for Zion Williamson to go back to Duke. At this point, somebody has to tell him, son, you've got to get paid. Because if if you're going to be the number one pick, going back to be the number one pick next year, which I think he would be, I mean, no question about it, you risk the injury. You risk who knows what. At this point, you have to worry about the business that is you. You've got to worry about your future. And so every game you play is miles on your body. Grant Williams got his degree, and now he's he wants to go test the waters. And I'm sure he's found out he's probably somewhere around. For some reason, the number that keeps hitting me is like 23, that that might be where he gets picked. Maybe that's too high. I don't know. But he's going to have an opportunity. And clearly, he's gotten advice, and he's found out from a couple of teams that there's interest. And I think he believes in himself and knows once he's selected, he's going to do the work, and he's going to be the kind of teammate and just the kind of employee that people are going to want around. And so going back to Knoxville, SEC is going to be very good next year. Tennessee is going to be middle of the road, probably, at best. They're going to take a step back, maybe a couple of steps back, before they're able to potentially step forward. So Grant Williams is not coming back next year to win a national championship. He knows the team is not capable of doing that. That might have been enticing to him. If the rest of the team happened to be underclassmen, they were all going to stick around, maybe this would be different. But it doesn't seem to be that way. Matter of fact, we know it's not that way. So Grant Williams is looking at this from, okay, am I going to get better if I go back to Tennessee? My thought would be marginally like maybe you get a little bit more polished, but he's a pretty polished athlete. He's a two-time SEC player of the year at Tennessee. So he wins a third. So what? I mean, that would be a great honor, but it doesn't really matter. You come back if you think you're going to get better. 
or if you want to chase a championship. He knows they're not going to win a title next year in Knoxville, and he knows if I get better, it's going to be very incremental and gradual. It's not going to be some kind of a giant step forward. What his skill set is, what it is that he does, he's pretty polished. He seems to be ready to be whatever that's going to be. He's ready to be that guy now. And I don't know exactly what that ceiling is going to be. I do think that there is a home in the league for somebody like Grant Williams. I also, and I don't know what his career goals are when he's done playing. I think I think that Grant Williams is going to end up being one tremendously. I think he's going to have a lot of success potentially on the bench wearing a suit. As a head coach, as a top-level assistant, I look at him and I, I see his basketball IQ and I see kind of the way that he goes about his life and how hard he's worked, what he's overcome on the floor to become what he has become. That is a smart, smart young man, and I just think he would kill a bunch of interviews when he sat down with athletic directors. And he's the kind of guy where you look at it and you're like, I'd want my son to play for a Grant Williams in 10 years, for example. And maybe he goes and he has a Hall of Fame career. I don't know. He's going to get an opportunity in the league. He has maximized what he can do in college. And he's earned the right. Boy, has he ever earned the right. There is nothing negative you can really say about Grant Williams. He exceeded expectations. He helped build that program back up after the mediocrity that it had been under Conzo and, of course, the Tyndall disaster. So Rick Barnes comes in there. Rick Barnes coaches him up. He's the right guy. Rick Barnes, super classy, just like Admiral, just like Grant Williams. This is such. Remember the talk all year, the narrative surrounding this team was how likable they were, how easy it was to root for them, how you wanted to see them succeed, the, the humility with which they comported themselves on and off the floor, all of that. Grant Williams learned to be a man. Whatever it was that maybe he needed to learn, he got that out of college. And he got what he needed out of college, which is that sheet of paper that's going to give him the future, no matter what happens to him in the NBA. So congratulations to Grant Williams. You know, I know Vols fans would have loved to see him again. But he deserves this. He earned it. He went through this process properly. And then he sat down, and just as he always has, he handled the decision and he handled the announcement with class, with dignity. I wish him the best. And I think everybody that has ever cheered for Tennessee would probably back me up on that. Grant Williams is is one of the good ones. And everybody's going to be following his career in the NBA. I hope he has a long career, but he's got a lot to offer this world. It's very, very good that Grant Williams is out there. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5. The Gong. Right along with the Big Six, here on a Friday evening in the Music City. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. I am the editor-in-chief of the Big Six blog. Read my stuff at 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog. Wrote about the Rockets collapse over the weekend. Wrote about John Wick 3 a couple of days ago. And today, a piece that we discussed in the first segment of tonight's program about Steph Curry being the straw that stirs the drink for the Golden State Warriors, not Kevin Durant, backed up by fact and the eye test. Optics sometimes aren't, I mean, you can look at this and see it, but the numbers also seem to back it up. And that's, look, 
it seems like I'm sliding Kevin Durant, and I'm really not. He's the best player in the league. Steph Curry is what makes this team go. It's always been his team. It's still his team. He's the one with the Facebook watch show. He's the he's the one that pretty much everybody likes, no matter what. Kevin Durant's become polarizing. Draymond's incredibly polarizing. Even Steve Kerr can be polarizing sometimes when he wades outside of the realm of basketball with some of his comments. Clay Thompson, nobody really dislikes Clay Thompson either. But Steph's the one that everybody likes and now everybody emulates. He's the one that everybody is trying to shoot like and they can't shoot like. And that, of course, causes trouble. Brooks Kepka yesterday outplayed Tiger Woods by nine strokes at Bethpage Black. Now, keep in mind that Tiger Woods has won the U.S. Open at Bethpage Black. This is the PGA Championship where Brooks Kepka is the defending champion. Ned Michaels was on a wake-up zone this morning where I was filling in alongside Kevin Ingram and Blaine Bishop with Mark Howard out for a couple of days. And I asked Ned Michaels, and I, I didn't know that there would be an answer. I thought that there probably would be something, but he would have to pull for it, and he did. I said, if there's silence on the other end of this phone, I understand. What is the hole in Brooks Kepka's game? And he said, there isn't one. If there's anything at all that I could nitpick to find, it is that he plays and he acts and he talks about this constant disrespect that he feels from everyone. And so sometimes he's a little bit too, he's wound too tight. And then like 10 minutes later on the Golf Channel, there was like a feature on Kepka where he was doing a sit-down about five to 10 minutes. And during it, that's all he talked about was how he feels like he doesn't get the respect that he deserves in the game. And he's not wrong. He's won three of the last seven majors. Now, we have no idea how this is going to finish up on Sunday. No clue, as a matter of fact. And we see, you know, a lot of motion from guys up and down today. And golf is that difficult a game. But if you had to put me to the fire and say, is Brooks Kepka going to finish in the top 10 this weekend? I'd feel pretty confident about saying yes. And even that is very difficult when it comes to golf. But even when Kepka doesn't win majors, he's still in position to win them. And usually he's in the mix on Sunday. But he does consistently talk about how he doesn't get the press, that people don't really pay him attention. Mainstream. Golf people know how good he is. Ned Michaels made that pretty clear based on saying he has no holes in his game. And he really doesn't. The fact that he idolized Tiger Woods, like so many of the guys that are on tour right now, Tony Finau has, has made it clear he wouldn't have even become a golfer had it not been for Tiger. Brooks is probably the same way. There's a lot of young guys out there that wouldn't have played had it not been for what Tiger meant for the game. So he idolized him, and he was his hero. And so Brooks Kepka's out there with him yesterday, and Molinari, who's a fantastic player as well. And not only did he beat Tiger Woods, he destroyed Tiger Woods. And that's what he's been doing to the PGA Tour for the last couple of years while, while we're waiting for Jordan Spieth to come back around or Rory McIlroy to play well in a major instead of the tournaments leading up to one after he looked like he was going to be the guy or Jason Day or Adam Scott or whoever it is or Dustin Johnson even, his best friend, Brooks's best friend. All Brooks Kepka keeps doing is destroying fools in major championships, just showing up and going obscenely low. He shot a 63 at Bethpage Black. Bethpage Black has basically the equivalent of a 
like, do not ski here unless you are an expert because you might die sign outside the course talking about how difficult it is. It's like a warning against the depression that you're likely to face after playing against that golf course. I remember when the U.S. Open first came there, I, I think it was Sports Illustrated, uh, the cover of SI the week that they played the first time at Beth Page. The cover of the magazine was that sign. It was that warning against playing this course if you're not an expert golfer. Kepka tore this thing a new one on Thursday. And he just seems like nothing phases him at all. His short game's good. His putter's perfect. He's great, and he's super long off the tee. And he stood next to Tiger Woods, where so many have failed in the past to be able to stand next to the guy and play 18 holes with him because you know the galleries are going to be big. You know everybody's watching him. And so are you because he's Tiger friggin' Woods. And Kepka annihilated him annihilated him in a way that you just don't see people do. Even just playing with him on a Friday or a Thursday, it's the same deal. Kepka going for a 63 yesterday, being the defending champion, doing all that he continues to do, what he did in the U.S. Open. I mean, this guy, he's right, I think, to have the chip on his shoulder. But if you recall earlier this week, I was talking about Joe Flacco saying he, he, it wasn't his job to mentor Drew Locke. And as he kind of clarified the comments a little bit later on in that interview, I'm going to let you hear a piece of it. And I let you hear Dan Orlovsky and what he had to say about it and saying he was dead wrong about not mentoring him. And Drew Locke has come out and said, hey, he's been great to me. And Elway backed up Flacco as well. Because Flacco said, we have quarterback coaches and people like that, that those guys, that's their job. My job is to be the quarterback of this team. It felt like to me Flacco wasn't going to be able to have fun out there. And that can show and that you should be able to have fun when you're making that kind of money. And you've already won a championship before. Kepka, I don't know if Kepka has fun playing golf because he's so worried about whether or not people are paying attention to him. And that's pride, folks. When I had Joey Sonier, the rodeo rider, yesterday, and what a conversation that was. The vulnerability and just him coming from all of those demons to be 39 and now a two-time Franklin Rodeo champ and a top 20 rider in the world at his age, is just unbelievable. And he said for the longest time that the meth, he didn't feel, he, he couldn't admit to himself that it had control over him. He continually told himself he had control over it. Brooks Kepka needs to sort of lighten up just a little bit. Like you see him smile when he's holding that trophy, but you can imagine that then he gets to the car and he looks at the trophy and he's like, why didn't people care about me more, man? That's the one thing, and Ned Michaels kind of pointed that out. And I think it's fascinating, and I want to continue to watch how Brooks Kepka comports himself and deals with fame if it continues to be there for him. Golf's a really hard game. He could never win another major again. We might have seen the last major he's ever won. Doesn't look that way. Looks like this dude's here to stay. And as he's been winning, it's true. People are paying attention to other things. And when you live in the Tiger Woods universe of golf, Everybody's going to be paying attention to Tiger, whether or not he's 5 over or 12 under. It doesn't matter. The story is, wow, Tiger's in the mix, or, oh, wow, what happened to Tiger? Meanwhile, Brooks Kepka is out here setting course records and seemingly impervious, and he just seems to always be in the mix, even when he's not winning. But it was amazing to me that Ned mentioned that, and then they immediately went to that in the interview, and Kepka just saying... That some, that he thinks maybe people aren't giving him that much credit because maybe he's boring. And then, then he caveated that 
and I just saw it via the captions because it was during the show, and so I could only see it through a muted television. But then he said, yeah, if being a, a young athlete dominating a sport in 2018 and 2019 is boring, I guess I'm boring. So even there, like it clearly bothers him. And sometimes people need motivation. Tom Brady and his, I guess, you know, everybody thinks we suck, so we're underdogs. That's a quote from him. Dude, you've won four Super Bowls. Shh. Ain't nobody calling you an underdog. Nobody thinks that the bloom is off the rose. Every time anybody plays New England, they're giving you their best shot. When Tom Brady came to Nissan Stadium last year to play against the Tennessee Titans, I was there for it. And the main reason I wanted to go was so I could see Tom Brady in person and see the New England Patriots in person. And that's just the way that it is. But some people do need to self-motivate and take everything as a slight. Michael Jordan holds grudges to this day. Remember his Hall of Fame speech? My goodness. But I do also think there's something to be said for having fun while you're doing it and being a little bit looser. So if he continues to be this tight, is he enjoying the life that he is leading as a professional golfer dominating a sport? in the way that he has been. I'm very curious to see whether or not he mellows out just a little bit. And I'm not even saying that he's a bad guy or a jerk or comes across like that. He doesn't. He's just somebody that I think really wishes he was a bigger star than he is and that that's getting to him. And in his private moments, he's just like, man, why don't they like me as much as they like this guy or that guy or that guy? Or why is this guy the one that has the Under Armour contract or X, Y, or Z, whatever it might be? If Kepka just keeps on playing golf this way and starts flashing the smile and doing the kinds of things that have made guys a ton of money in the past, he'll be on that trajectory. He comes across as boring because all he does is play golf really well. And that's compelling on a sporting level. But in entertainment, that doesn't necessarily get it done. The best actors in the world sometimes aren't the ones that give you the best interviews. And that's the problem. Look at Mike Trout. Mike Trout. He's making a ton of money because he's great at baseball. But his marketing is him and Andrew Luck not having personalities being forced into a disco commercial. Remember that one? We saw that all the way through the NCAA tournament where they're wearing the ridiculous shirts. That's the deal. And Rob Manford so badly wishes Mike Trout was a little bit more outgoing and just wanted to be a celebrity. And he doesn't. He wants to play baseball and have a quiet life. And he seems to be a fun-loving dude. Brooks Kepka might be the exact same thing. But Kepka has to realize if you want to be a larger-than-life personality, especially in an individual sport, past the sport, that is on you and on your personality. And so Ned Michaels made a perfect point this morning when I asked that question on the Wake Up Zone. Coming back, a good guy in Hollywood and somebody to root for. I love this. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the program here tonight. Final segment of the week here on the Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. Follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. Reminder, I'm in for Jonas Knox, 1 to 5 a.m. Saturday morning, which kind of just feels like it's a few hours away because it, it is. Uh, you can hear that here on 104.5 The Zone and then the Jason Martin Show, 2 to 5 a.m. on Fox Sports Radio Sunday mornings. First two hours air right here on The Zone as well. John Wick 3 came out today. I screened it a couple of days ago. My review is up at the Big Six blog, has been for a couple of days. 
I'm a fan of this series. It is ultra-violent, but there's not a ton of language, and there's not a ton of other content. Really, it's just super violent to a completely different level. Hundreds of people get off in these films. But it's also been kind of a career resurgence in some ways for Keanu Reeves because Keanu's known for the Matrix trilogy, and he's known for Bill and Ted, and he's known for Point Break, and he's known for Speed, and he's known for The Devil's Advocate. He's also known for kind of being a guy that used to be a joke in terms of when you talked about actors, you would talk about Keanu Reeves in a derisive fashion. And so now he's got John Wick. And the first John Wick was made on a $20 million budget, made four times that. Second one was made at around, I think, $30 million, somewhere in that neighborhood. It made around 170 some. So it improved and, and doubled what the first one made. And it's become, the first one's become a cult classic. And now this trilogy is, this thing will make a big amount of money this year. And this weekend, I don't know that it will take down Avengers because people are still going back to see that again. I'm probably going to see it a third time if I have time this weekend or certainly over the next handful of days. Speaking of which, uh, Pop 6 podcast dropping tonight. If you have not subscribed to the Pop 6 with Jason Martin, hope you would. Same thing with Big 6 with Jason Martin, your podcast catcher of choice. What we did, Brad Willis, program director here, Rep Brian of Titans Radio, and me, we did a 15-round draft of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and it was a ton of fun we also did an hour and a half hour and 45 minutes actually last week talking about the Marvel films and and how far they've come from start to finish and a lot of stuff about Endgame so if that interests you check it out but the John Wick situation is amazing to me because of where it came from and then you read about Keanu Reeves and this is where I wanted to go first off the film is great as long as you can handle the violence and it's almost preposterous level violence, which makes you be able to laugh as people are getting destroyed and murdered basically on screen. It's not for children, but again, it's not because of anything other than it just being loud and violent. It's beautiful, though. It takes stuff from old you know, cinema from Hong Kong and fighting styles, and the locales are amazing, and it's shot beautifully. Like It's incredible. Chad, Chahel- Chad Stahelski who was actually the stunt double for Keanu Reeves for The Matrix, is the director. And these are the only films he's directed to this point are those three. And his partner, David Leach, his directing partner, has gone on to do Atomic Blonde, which unfortunately wasn't as good, but was kind of seen as maybe this can be the female John Wick. John Wick 3 ends in a way where there could be a 4 if they want want it. Uh, And I would be all for a 4. But Keanu Reeves is anti-Hollywood. He's not anti-Hollywood, but he's anti-what you anticipate Hollywood to be. If you just do a Google search for Keanu Reeves, you will see anecdotes from people that have encountered him. And I don't mean other famous people. I mean regular, normal, everyday people. And just how kind he is. One of them I read last night, someone that works at a bookstore. Keanu Reeves comes in every Friday night, has for a long time, on his motorcycle, he will come in and he will buy Sudoku and he will buy fiction. And so he'll call the bookstore in advance to just say, hi, this is Mr. Reeves. Uh, if it's okay, I'm going to come in and pick up my books now. And he's totally generous when he's there and he's kind when he's there. I've seen a lot of stories about the way he signs autographs and just how he takes pictures with people and how he'll talk about all of these various things 
and he's just totally down to earth. And it's not like I'm stunned by this, but we're almost surprised when we hear a story like this because so much of the Hollywood stuff is about what politics you are, what you believe about this, or what you've done wrong, and how many times you've had a DUI or whatever incident is going on in your life. Just to read that Keanu Reeves just seems like a good dude makes you really happy for his success. And it makes me really happy that John Wick is as fun as it is. And it makes sense why it's fun. Because he doesn't take himself too seriously. And so he can go out there and really enjoy this. And so he is. And I love this. There's not enough positivity. We'll see you on Monday. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.